Section 16 of The Green Rust by Edgar Wallace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter 16 The Pawn Ticket. Oliva Cresswell awoke to consciousness as she was being carried up the stairs of the house. She may have recovered sooner, for she retained a confused impression of being laid down amidst waving grasses, and of hearing somebody grunt that she was heavier than he thought. Also she remembered as dimly the presence of Dr. Van Heerden standing over her, and he was wearing a long grey dust-coat. As her captor kicked open the door of her room, she scrambled out of his arms and leaned against the bed-rail for support. "'I'm all right,' she said breathlessly. It was foolish to faint, but—but but you frightened me. The man grinned, and seemed about to speak, but a sharp voice from the landing called him, and he went out, slamming the door behind him. She crossed to the bathroom, bathed her face in cold water, and felt better, though she was still a little giddy. Then she sat down to review the situation, and in that review two figures came alternately into prominence, Van Heerden and Beale. She was an eminently sane girl— she had had the beginnings of what might have been an unusually fine education had it not been interrupted by the death of her foster-mother. She had, too, the advantage which the finished young lady does not possess, of having grafted to the wisdom of the schools the sure understanding of men and things which personal contact with struggling humanity can alone give to us. The great problems of life had been sprung upon her with all their hideous realism, and through all she had retained her poise and her clear vision. Many of the phenomena represented by man's attitude to woman she could understand, but that a man who admittedly did not love her and had no other apparent desire than to rid himself of the incubus of a wife as soon as he was wed should wish to marry her was incomprehensible that he had already published the bans of her marriage left her gasping at his audacity strange how her thoughts leapt all the events of the morning the wild rush to escape the struggle with the hideously masked man and all that went before or followed and went back to the night before somehow she knew that van heerden had told her the truth and that there was behind this act of his a deeper significance than she could grasp she remembered what he had said about beale and flushed "'You're silly, Matilda,' she said to herself, employing the term of address which she reserved for moments of self-depreciation. "'Here is a young man you have only met half a dozen times, who is probably a very nice married policeman with a growing family, and you are going hot and cold at the suggestion that you are in love with him.' She shook her head reproachfully. And yet upon Beale all her thoughts were centred, and however they might wander it was to Beale they returned she could analyze that buoyancy which had asserted itself that confidence which had suddenly become a mental armour which repelled every terrifying thought to this faith she had in a man who in a few weeks before she had looked upon as an incorrigible drunkard she had time for thought and really though this she did not acknowledge she desperately needed the occupation of that thought what was beale's business why did he employ her to copy out this list of american and canadian statistics why did he want to know all these hotels their proprietors the chief of police and the like she wished she had her papers and books so that she might go on extracting that interminable list what would van heerden do now would her attempted escape change his plans 
how would he overcome the difficulty of marrying a girl who was certain to denounce him in the presence of so independent a witness as a clergyman she would die before she married him she told herself she could not rest and walked about the room examining the framed prints and looking at the books and occasionally walking to the glass above the dressing-chest to see if any sign was left of the red mark on her cheek where van heerden's hand had fallen this exercise gave her a curious satisfaction and when she saw that the mark had subsided and was blending more to the color of her skin she felt disappointed startled she analyzed this curious mental attitude and again came to beale she wanted beale to see the place she wanted beale's sympathy she wanted beale's rage she was sure he would rage she laughed to herself and for want of other and better amusement walked to the drawers in the dressing bureau and examined their contents they were empty and unlocked save one which refused to respond to her tug she remembered she had a small bunch of keys in her bag i'm going to be impertinent forgive the liberty she said as she felt the lock give to the first attempt she pulled the drawer open it contained a few articles of feminine attire and a thick black leather portfolio she lifted this out laid it on the table and opened it it was filled with foolscap written on the cover was the word argentine and somehow the writing was familiar to her it was a bold hand obviously feminine where have i seen that before she asked and knit her forehead she turned to the first leaf and read algesar hotel fornos miguel porcorini index two her mouth opened in astonishment and she ran down the list she took out another folder it was marked canada and she turned the leaves rapidly she recognized this work it was the same work that beale had given to her a list of the hotels their proprietors and means of conveyance but there was no reference to the police and then it dawned upon her an unusually long description produced certain characteristics of writing which she recognized hilda glaum she said i wonder what this means she examined the contents of the drawer again and some of them puzzled her not the little stack of handkerchiefs the folded collars and the like if hilda glaum was in the habit of visiting dean's folly and used this room it was natural that these things should be here if this were her bureau the little carton of nibs and the spare notebook were to be expected it was the steel box which set her wondering this she discovered in the far corner of the drawer if she could have imagined anything so fantastic she might have believed that the box had been specially made to hold the thing it contained and preserve it from the dangers of fire the lid which closed with a spring catch released by the pressure of a tiny button was perfectly fitted so that the box was in all probability air-tight she opened it without difficulty the sides were lined with what seemed to be at first sight thick cardboard but which proved on closer inspection to be asbestos she opened it with a sense of eager anticipation but her face fell save for a tiny square blue envelope at the bottom the box was empty she lifted it in her hand to shake out the envelope and it was then that the idea occurred to her that the box had been made for the envelope which refused to budge until she lifted one end with a hairpin it was unsealed and she slipped in her finger and pulled out a pawn ticket she had an inclination to laugh which she checked she examined the ticket curiously 
It announced the fact that Monsieur's Rosenblaum Brothers, of Commercial Road, London, had advanced ten shillings on a gent's silver hunter watch, and the pledge had been made in the name of Van Heerden. She gazed at it, bewildered. He was not a man who needed ten shillings, or ten dollars, or ten pounds. Why should he pledge a watch, and why, having pledged it, should he keep the ticket with such care? Oliva hesitated a moment, then slipped the ticket from its cover, put back the envelope at the bottom of the box, and closed the lid. She found a hiding-place for the little square pasteboard before she returned the box and portfolio to the drawer and locked it. There was a tap at the door, and hastily she replaced the key in her bag. "'Come in,' she said. She recognized the man who stood in the doorway as he who had carried her back to the room. There was a strangeness in his bearing which made her uneasy, a certain subdued hilarity which suggested drunkenness. "'Don't make a noise,' he whispered with a stifled chuckle. "'If Gregory hears, he'll raise fire.' She saw that the key was in the lock on the outside of the door, and this she watched. But he made no attempt to withdraw it, and closed the door behind him softly. "'My name is Bridgers,' he whispered. "'Van Heerden has told you about me, Horace Bridgers, do you?' He took a little tortoise-shell box from the pocket of his frayed waistcoat, and opened it with a little kick of his middle finger. It was half full of white powder, that glittered in a stray ray of sunlight. "'Try a sniff,' he begged eagerly, "'and all your troubles will go foot.' "'Thank you, no,' she shook her head, looking at him with a perplexed smile. "'I don't know what it is.' "'It's the white terror,' he chuckled again. "'Better than the green. Not so horribly musty as the green, eh?' "'I'm not in the mood for terrors of any kind,' she said, with a half-smile. She wondered why he had come, and had a momentary hope that he was ignorant of Van Heerden's character. "'All right,' he stuffed the box back into his waistcoat pocket. "'You're the loser. You'll never find heaven on earth.' She waited. All the time he was speaking it seemed to her that he was on the qui-vive for some interruption from below. He would stop in his speech to turn a listening ear to the door. Moreover, she was relieved to see that he made no attempt to advance any farther into the room. That he was under the influence of some drug, she guessed. His eyes glittered with unnatural brilliance. His hands, discolored and uncleanly, moved nervously, and were never still. "'I'm Bridgers,' he said again. "'I'm Van Heerden's best man. Rather a come-down for the best analytical chemist that the school ever turned out, eh? Doing odd jobs for a dirty Deutscher.' He walked to the door, opened it, and listened, then tiptoed across the room to her. "'You know,' he whispered, "'you're Van Heerden's girl. What is the game?' "'What is?' she stammered. "'What is the game? What is it all about? I've tried to pump Gregory and Milsom, but they're mysterious. Curse all mysteries, my dear. What is the game? Why are they sending men to America, Canada, Australia, and India? Come along and be a pal. Tell me. I've seen the office.' i know all about it thousands of sealed envelopes filled with steamship tickets and money thousands of telegraph forms already addressed you don't fool me he hissed the last words almost in her face why is he employing the crocks and the throwouts of science perilli maxon boyd hyler and me if the game's square why doesn't he take the new men from the schools she shook her head, being by now less interested in such revelations as he might make than in her own personal comfort, for his attitude was grown menacing. Then the great idea came to her. 
evidently this man knew nothing of the circumstances under which she had come to the house to him she was a wilful but willing assistant of the doctor who for some reason or other it had been necessary to place under restraint i will tell you everything if you will take me back to my home she said i cannot give you proofs here she saw suspicion gather in his eyes then he laughed that won't wash he sneered you know it all i can't leave here he said besides you told me last time that there was nothing i used to watch you working away at night he went on to the girl's amazement i've sat looking at you for hours writing and writing and writing she understood now she and hilda glaum were of about the same build and she was mistaken for hilda by this bemused man who had in all probability never seen the other girl face to face what made you run away he asked suddenly but with a sudden resolve she brought him back to the subject he had started to discuss what is the use of my telling you she asked you know as much as i only bits he replied eagerly but i don't know van heerden's game i know why he's marrying this other girl everybody knows that when is the wedding what other girl she asked Raswell or Perdot, whatever she calls herself said bridgers carelessly she was a store girl wasn't she but she tried to speak calmly why do you think he wants to marry her he laughed softly don't be silly he said you can't fool me everybody knows she's worth a million worth a million she gasped worth a million he smacked his lips and fumbled for the little box in his waistcoat pocket try a sniff you'll know what it feels like to be old man millenborn's heiress there was a sound in the hall below and he turned with an exaggerated start she thought it theatrical but could not know of the jangled nerves of the drug-sodden man which magnified all sound to an intensity which was almost painful he opened the door and slid out and did not close the door behind him swiftly she followed and as she reached the landing saw his head disappear down the stairs she was in a blind panic a thousand formless terrors gripped her and turned her resolute soul to water she could have screamed her relief when she saw that the sliding door was half open the man had not stopped to close it and she passed through and down the first flight he had vanished before she reached the halfway landing and the hall below was empty it was a wide hall stone flagged with a glass door between her and the open portal she flew down the stairs pulled open the door and ran straight into van heerden's arms End of chapter 16 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com